Welcome to the Pooch Parenting Podcast, a podcast for parents with dogs. I'm Michelle Stern, a certified professional dog trainer, mom, and former teacher. Living with kids and dogs at the same time can feel like a circus. I know because I lived it too. Join us as we interview a variety of experts and parents to discuss topics that will make parenting with dogs easier, safer, and less chaotic. Also, you can love living with your dog again. I'll always keep it real, which might even mean that you hear the messiness of life in the background on occasion, but at least you know you're not alone. Welcome to episode 12 of the Pooch Parenting Podcast. Today I talk with Ruby Leslie about dogs who chase. They chase kids, they chase the cat. As if parenting isn't hard enough, it's even harder when you have a chaser on your hands. So we talk about strategies to keep your cat safe and your kiddo safe and to help your dog be more successful. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Ruby. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm so excited we finally get to talk. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very, uh, I was looking forward to this because we've been talking now for like, I think a year or so or more Probably. and supporting each other on social media and helping each other out, but we haven't actually formally done a, done a podcast or anything to support each other. So I'm really happy about this. Yeah, me too. I know. I'm really excited about it too. And what I especially love is that you have a unique perspective being that you are a dog trainer, but a cat owner as opposed yeah. to a dog owner. So <laughs> you understand what it's like to, um, to live with cats and to put up with some of the shenanigans that cats can uh, bring up in daily life. But as a dog trainer, you understand that sometimes cats make wonderful dog toys. And so we're going to talk about today in this episode about tips for parents who've got dogs and kids who may have a cat in the house, um, how to deal with it when dogs chase either the kids or the cat. And you've got some great pointers for that. But in the meantime, why don't you introduce yourself and then we'll dive in. I am a fear-free veterinary professional, I'm elite certified for that. So that means I've gone through four, four different courses. I'm fear-free groomer certified. I'm fear-free uh, shelter certified, low-stress handling certified. I'm doing my canine behaviors diploma with the, with the International School of Canine Psychology. I have loads of qualifications in dog cognition, shelter welfare, um, training, and uh, positive reinforcement uh, stuff as well. And of course, I am owned by three cats. <laughs> I'm also a writer for Edition Cat Magazine. And I find that having the perspective, like you say, of being a dog trainer who has cats has really helped me write articles and, you know, have this opportunity to share what, it, what it's like to, to have cats and to also train dogs. And I also am an editor for the Chengdu Panda Base. So I'm busy. You love- are certainly busy. I like it. It keeps me out of trouble because if I don't do it, I get in trouble. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's keep you out of trouble. I'll keep you busy. Okay. So I want you to imagine a tired, frazzled parent, young dog chases everything in sight. And this parent is worried about the dog getting itself into trouble or possibly causing damage to either the pet cat or to the child. So what do we do? Like, where's the first place to start with this? Well, the, I actually just helped a client with that. Um, but they had a really big problem. The dog was okay when the kids are on the floor playing. But the issue was when they were holding the kid, the dog would try to jump up and attack them because their body language was changed. Ah, 
And so that was a really big issue. And so what I did with them is I had them hold the kid and then do find it like really simple games. Because again, parents, you don't have time to do this sort of stuff. You don't have time to do more in-depth desensitization or DSNCC, I'll call it like that because I, I can't always say it, programs because, because you just don't, you have to take care of your kids, you have to take care of your dog, you have to take care of your husband. Um, anyway, so the, they were holding the child, like, you know, they were screaming or they're crying and the dog would try to jump on them all the, because the dog is hyper aroused because of the noises. And so we had to do a, a DSNCC program to noises before we even worked towards them moving around. So, so I'm going to stop you here real quick and just clarify, because a lot of the people who are listening to this don't know what those letters mean. Yes, so thank you. What we're talking about is desensitizing a dog or counter conditioning a situation. So essentially the goal at the end of the day is to help the dog find input, whether yeah. that's sounds from kids or sights of kids wiggling around to, to turn those into non-issues yeah. and to help the dog feel better when it yeah. sees or hears things that it used to respond poorly to. Exactly. So we can often do that by pairing kid noises with treats or with fun activities like tossing a ball so that the child that the dog will then see the child as the trigger that good things will happen as opposed to something that is frightening. Sorry, apologies. Sometimes I go into a trainer brain and I forget that. That's people, okay. People That's don't... what I'm here for. I'm exactly. a translator. Yay. Um, they, you're changing your dog's emotions from negative to a positive. So they're saying like the trigger, the trigger would be the child. A trigger would be an influence on the dog that might change his behavior. Mm-hmm. So they're going to see the child as like, oh my God, well, I see a child and they're crawling on the floor. Oh, I'm going to get some treats now. Or I hear a child crying. Well, I'm going to get treats. So you have change that negative hyper arousal the dogs in a you know prey dark mode into actually hey I'm gonna be a calm dog I'm gonna be chill and I think that's really what our goal is and um Eileen Eileen and dogs just wrote a huge article about how we can't play the sounds if you have like a sound of a baby crying and you give treats to your dog you shouldn't play it from your phone because it distorts the sound mm. you, should, you should play it from your your speakers Mm-hmm. because and that's the same thing for like thunder or, or any sort of noise that your dog is scared of because if you play it from your speakers you can get like the underground frequencies more mm-hmm. and then you can if you play it from your phone great tip love that and so what i recommended is that they would play the noises of a baby crying and drip feed their dog food like really like in a snuffle mat like really keep it super calm because you have a puppy who is you know, very excited, wants to chase the babies, wants to jump on the babies. But now when the baby cries, they think, okay, I'm going to go on my mat or mm-hmm. I'm, or I'm going to go find a game. I'm not going to be jumping. I'm not going to be, you know, thinking that when the baby cries, that's a prey. So that was something that we worked on. And so we got them, the dog DS and CC to the noises. And then we worked where the, the mother was holding the baby and walking around her house, you know, tossing treats to the dog and, and for one part of the game and the other game is a dog had like a distance boundary game where they're like on their mat and the mother was walking around the room with the baby in their arms and then the dog stayed on the mat mm. and these are really important things that the dog is showing calm behaviors or you're giving an alternative behavior so mm-hmm. if you know the dog is really excited the puppies you know they love the world and they want to explore the world through their noses and their mouths but they sometimes forget you know and, and that's why mouthing is a big issue as well and so when you have a baby in your arms who's crying, you can't handle a mouthing dog. 
you're just as a parent you know a mother or a father you're like oh my god the baby has to go in the room i have to calm my baby down i can't handle a puppy who's now mouthing my baby's feet right and so that's where having that game was where okay if i have treats and reward stations around my home i can grab some food give the dog something else to do take the baby safely into the room and then you have a calm situation for the parent the child and the dog so that was one thing that i did that's really good i want to go back to one thing that you talked about there and we were talking about changing emotions. And um, I think the main point that we need people to understand is that dogs repeat behaviors that they practice. Yes. And so if a dog is given the opportunity to continue to chase the kids or to continue to jump on a parent who's holding the baby or to continue to sniff at a baby who's on the floor, which is not a safe thing to happen anyway, then the dog will continue to do those things. And so what you're talking about is switching it around so that the behavior we're asking them to repeat is actually playing a human designated game. So you are taking the direction instead of letting the dog take direction, which is awesome. And then second of all, we're rewarding. I'm wearing the shirt right now. It says reward your dog. Um, But the idea is, is that we want to give the dog as many rewards as possible so that they can make positive associations with making the right choices. Exactly. Good. And I I think that's the same thing. You know, the way I look at it is I like to drink coffee. I like percolated, snobby, dark roast coffee. And the more that I drink (laughs) it, and, and I think you know very well, I love to cook because I like good, solid food. Yes. Um, but I like healthy food. Um, well, you and I share recipes all the time. We, we do. have that in common. I'm doing cooking because it re- it's reinforcing to me. Yes. I'm drinking coffee because I enjoy it. The dog chasing the child or chasing the cat is something they enjoy. Yes. Because it's rewarding. It is an instinctual, natural behavior for a dog. A dog is a predator. We forget that. We think, oh, they're cute. They're part of our children. They're not a human child. They are a dog. They have teeth. They have claws. They are a natural predator. That's when you take your dog out for a walk. They're going to try to eat the birds. They're going to try to eat the mice. They're going to try to eat the rabbits or the squirrels in the trees. And some dogs have higher prey drive levels due to breed characteristics or genetics due to where they grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'll bring the Thai dog into the example. There's a lot. I work with a Thai shelter, and I've been helping consult them uh, for a very cheap price because they're, you know, a shelter. And a lot of their dogs try to eat cats because, and they also rescue cats as well. So they have to walk their dogs on muzzles because the dogs have been foraging for all their lives. So they see anything that moves is now my game to eat it. That is such an interesting concept. Let's pause there for a second. I'm actually thinking about um, our family's trip to Thailand. Uh, I think it was two years ago. We went over Christmas vacation and we went to an elephant sanctuary where they were rehabbing and, and rehoming elephants that had been in the tourist trade and had been horribly mistreated their whole lives. And so this place had all this land and they were giving elephants a social life with no abuse and nobody was going to ever ride them again and everything else. And every elephant had their own caretaker who followed them around and made sure they were safe and didn't get into trouble. And they got to live in these family groups, but at the same property, because they had so much land, 
they ended up also being a sanctuary for stray dogs and for cats. And it was really interesting because a lot of the dogs were loose around the property and they visited with the tourists like me. You know, the money that we paid to visit this property went towards conservation and I felt really good about that. Um, But they also accepted donations to take care of the dogs and to take care of the cats. But the cats had to live in these big enclosures um, that were fully 100% fenced in, the tops, the sides, everywhere, because the dogs were loose and the dogs were extremely interested in these cats. And it's interesting because in some places, street dogs really are not interested in cats because they have enough food to eat from the village garbage dumps and, and tourists who feed them. But at this particular location where it was a very structured natural environment, there was, they got dog food, but they still needed to, uh, they needed to set up a management system to prevent the dogs from chasing the cats because they were still in that seeking mode. They were in that hunting mode because they just came from the mountains, which were really nearby. It was a really interesting thing, but I, I think that that then ties in. Okay, so if these cats were in these big enclosures and they were really cool, they like had tree branches and the cats could climb on them and they had really nice enrichment opportunities. Um, It makes me think about the family cat in a home that may or may not have a safe place to go. Mm -hmm. And since you live with cats, and I know that you take a really active role in making sure that your cats have an enriched life. Can we just talk about that for a minute and how to set up a safe place for a family cat where there's a dog and a child because children do torment cats if they can get away mm. with it and we need to make sure that doesn't happen. So can we talk about what it looks like to make life safe for a cat who lives in a family? Yeah. Um I want to bring one small note in. A lot of dogs from overseas from like Korea and Thailand are being adopted in Canada and North America and the yes. UK. Yes. And so we need to bear in mind that a lot of shelters don't have the knowledge base that we have because these dogs are not, A, not used to being in a home. Right. B, they're used to scavenging for, do- for their food and they're used to hunting. So you're bringing these type of dogs who never had any formal training or any sort of, you know, use for being in a home and you're putting them in a home with a cat. And so the cat is like fair game. That's you, terrifying. Exactly. And then if you put them in a home with a baby, the baby's fair game. That's also terrifying. Exactly. And so this is where if you are going to adopt a dog from overseas, please vet them out. Make sure that they have standards in place. Make sure they're telling you um, the, the enrichment of their shelter, how the shelter's you know, housed and how the dogs are cared for. You know, and also ask how's the dog with babies? How's the dog with other cat animals? How's the dog with cats? Because a lot of these places will say, oh, they're fine. They're not fine. So... so- Would it be better to just make the assumption that when you are adopting a dog from an overseas shelter, that it's not going to be fine and then be pleasantly surprised later? I mean, I would rather have people be prepared than be sabotaged and suddenly find out that because a lot of people are adopting from these other countries because it makes them feel good that they're rescuing this dog that needs them. And that is absolutely the case. And that's fine. Yeah. Um, There are some issues, which we could talk about another time about there are dogs in their own country that can yeah. be rescued. So there is that whole other conversation. But yeah. assuming that you are trying to do the right thing yeah, and you are bringing in a dog from another country, there is no judgment in that at this point. No. But what I want to say is I would much rather you just plan for the worst 
um, and hope for the best. Because if you've got cats, if you've got maybe maybe you have pocket pets like hamsters and rats or a ferret or whatever yeah. that are allowed in certain places that these creatures, it may be like an open hunting season um, yeah. if you're not careful. Exactly. And and so I think this is where I'm not judging anybody. Like I'm, I lived in China for eight years and I'm very well aware of the animal welfare challenges in these locations. But if you adopt a dog from that country or any country, make sure what, do, what, what bulls are they eating from? What, you know, what environment they live in? And duplicate that environment in your home and then have them in a safe room so they have a safe room and then slowly introduce them. But what okay. I'm gonna, and I'm going to go into now how to make a safe room for your cat because I have three cats and I brought them back to me from China. I rescued them all. And because I've worked so hard with these cats, it kind of taught me that I can't have a dog. You know, the, these animals deserve my time because they've gone through so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I use other people's dogs as my dog fix. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want to pause one one second here because you said something that I think people may or may not realize is a trigger. So dogs get excited by motion. Yes. And so when you mentioned that if you were to make any kind of sudden noise, even if it was an accident, like dropping something, and she were to run across the house to go hide, that in and of itself would trigger probably the majority of dogs to go chase her because a long time ago um, we had two cats. One of them was very much like a dog. She was a black and white cat who played fetch and was very funny and social and calm. And she played with our dog and she never ran away from our dog. And then the other cat was a blue cat. Both of them rescued from the shelter. Um, But she was a beautiful bluish cat. And she was the epitome of a cat. And she was very moody and made decisions. Yes, you can touch me now or no, you cannot touch me now. But she always ran away from the dog, which made the dog chase her every time. So it was just a really interesting dichotomy because on the one hand, I would think, oh, my dog is fine with cats because she plays gently and wonderfully with Jasmine, my black and white cat, but she chases the heck out of Emma and wants to go get her. And that's because Emma was always running. Mm -hmm. So I do think it's worth noting that a fearful pet may cause more challenges than, than it solves, that it's running away for safety. And that is the trigger that's making the dog chase it in the first place, which is also similar to a running around happy, playful toddler. Same problem, right? The motion is what attracts the energy of the dog. Exactly. I think dogs have fantastic peripheral vision. And so they, the way that they capture motion is, you know, in, in through their vision, I forget the, the details of it right now. And in, in my brain, I have it somewhere else, but they're, their mind, their their senses, their their eyes, their nose, I think that is triggered by motion. It's triggered by the smell of motion. If they know, okay, you're gonna go run, well, I'm gonna chase you. And that's why when I have a dog who's fearful on a walk, or like let's say they see another dog and they, they start barking and lunging, I always say go for a run because that dog is then able to run away from you know the flight response. But they mm-hmm. also run away because dogs like to run. And, you know, you, you've given the dog an escape route for the, for the fearful dog or the dog who's going to lunge or react or whatever mm-hmm. you want to do. But when you have a fearful cat like Marmalade who has to hide in a box in my closet, and I, I made her a little box with all my clothes and she couldn't smell me and all sort of stuff. And I'll go back to that. When you have her and she's around the house and like, you know, if my family comes in, she's running. She's not just like, she's full-fledged running. If I had any type of dog in, the, in this environment... They would be like, game on. Mm-hmm. I will go after that cat. 
And so this is where it's knowing the type of breed of your dog. It's also knowing the type of, type of personality of your cat. And so what I've done with them is I've had my room set up as like a safe spot. And so in my room is their safe room. You can, and you can have any specific room in your house. You can have a cat room. You can have anything. I'll have my room as, as their safe room because that's where I stay and they can smell me. And, and cats and dogs like that sense of familiarity. They, they, okay, I can smell like my mother cat. I'm, that's how cats view us as mother cats or father cats if you're a dude. Um, and so like they, they view versus dogs who know that you're a little bit more different. But because we have that same smell in us, we're part of the social group. And so when I'm in my room, you know, like I have a, a box for her in the closet. I have a box for her on, on top of a dresser. So she has a perch. I also have a little um, blanket on my bed for Spark to, because um, he's 17 pounds. I have a bin for him to jump up and go on the bed. And I also have um, everything laid out easy for Patches to, as well, you know, have a little safe spot for him. So then that way he feels secure. So I have my safe room as my bedroom. Can I ask you a quick question real yes. quick? So if you, I know you don't have a dog and I know you won't have a dog because of your cats and you're respecting their needs, but I'm going to pretend that you did have a dog yeah. because a lot of times people bite off more than they can chew and you happen to know what you know, but a lot of people don't know what they don't know. And so they find themselves in the situation where they do have a fearful cat or a fearful child and a dog that likes to chase things. So in that particular case, let's imagine that, would you then have a baby gate at your door so that the cat can flee over the gate and the dog is stopped there. So for example, the dog hits, or maybe in the hallway leading to your bedroom. So we can even give, even give a bigger barrier uh, or buffer zone to your room. So maybe the on the corridor, on the way to your bedroom, there's a baby gate. The cats know they're good jumpers. Fwing, they go over the gate. The dog is like, oh, put the brakes on. And that is now a no dog zone of the house would you do something like that as a way to protect that safe zone for the cats um i'll give you two examples um the first example is from decades ago well probably i'll say i'll say last year it was when i was a child so of course it was last year um we had um adult cats and i of course didn't know what i know that and my dad set up and my dog we got he loved to eat the cat poop which is i mean it's a very um, normal yeah. thing like i like to call it as a chocolate covered mars ball Mars ball because it's, it's packed in protein right and it's like chocolate covered and people Gross. say i know but it's like you get the imagery in your head oh uh, yeah okay let's move on yeah there you go i mean you deal with babies and what's the difference um lots of poop exactly and so what dad did is he created lattice from the outside from the from the fence and he put a hole in the lattice and the cat could go in the hole versus jumping because okay. if you have a cat that jumps you also have more arousal state oh that's true and so though, if you have a small dog, it could go through the hole. So you have to know the size of your dog and yeah. know the size of your cat. Yeah, exactly. So you, you adapt it to the needs of your animal. And so that's what happened as a kid. And so that's where the dog no longer ate. And they had their own safe room as well. Mm -hmm. So if you want to make where their litter boxes are as a safe room, baby gates are your best friend. And I okay. think I would really recommend that because no one wants to use the bathroom and have a dog be like, oh, what are you doing? Right. Um so I had a student last year, a dog student who was training, and they are very, very kind people, and they're living in China. I do online training for, for people in China, and I've done that for three years. And they had young kids um, from, I think, age five to about 15, about three, I think, three kids. And they had two adult cats, and they had, one was a rescue cat, so very fearful. 
and they brought in a Labrador mix. Again, I'm not trying to, you know, you're bash not breed bashing. You're not breed bashing, but not, you are acknowledging not. characteristics, and yeah. that's different. Okay, go ahead. It's a high prey drive, and the dog was kept in a cage at a vet clinic. And so they were like, you know, either dogs going to go to a really poor shelter in the location. I was like, okay, I understand that. Or they're going to take the dog in the home. And they, they were very kind people, but they didn't recognize the behavioral situation that they're doing. And they brought the dog in the home and chaos ensued because they didn't have baby gates. They didn't have any sort of management tools. They had no training tools. And the dog, because it had lived its life half in a cage and half being abused, was then highly reactive to anything on a walk and highly reactive to anything that moved <sighs> and they call me and they're like what's happened and I was like all right I'll help you but they were so overwhelmed and I really feel for them because I think that they took on way more than they could have you know understood and by the end of it you know I had like okay you need to have baby gates so what I had is they had stairs going up to like an upstairs and they had a downstairs the downstairs was the dog's that's where the dog is going to live. That's going to be like the dog's space. The upstairs can be the cat's space. Mm -hmm. And so if they want to increase that space, they have to have the dog calm. Mm -hmm. And that's going to take time. And I think, and so we had the baby gate there where, you know, the cats could have the freedom to come down those stairs, but then the dog would get, then get aroused. And, and what I mean by arousal state or like a high prey drive state is that the dog, the body um, posture would stiffen and they get a direct hard stare. Mm. And so that's kind of where even with the baby gate, the dog was still in a prey drive mode. Mm -hmm. And then so with the, the dog is now then frustrated that they can't access their prey and you have what's called barrier frustration. And then the dog then took out the barrier frustration on the kids. Oh, no. And the dog is mouthing the kids. Oh, geez. Okay. So I was like, where do we begin? Mm -hmm. And this, right. is all, this is online training as well. Right. Yeah. So, it, I mean, like, I love online training. I've had many successful ones, but because they were so overwhelmed, they didn't do their homework. Yeah. And when they didn't do their homework, they couldn't help their dog. Right. And then they just became this huge cycle. And I think this is the problem as a parent is you're like, I want to do the right thing. I want to help this dog. I want to help my cats. I want to help my, my child. Here's a trainer. Can they do this for me? I couldn't. They have to do it. And my goal as a trainer is I teach you how to train your dog. You yes. have to do the homework, right? Amen. Yep. And, and this is the thing they didn't mm -hmm. because they were so in their minds of what did I just do? Yeah. And I, no matter what I did, like I supported them daily, like, you know, like daily phone calls and there's nothing more that I could have done. Right. And I think if they had lived in another country, the best thing would have been to rehome the dog. I was going to say, I, I would like to just point out for all of our listeners that um, there is no shame, no zero shame in acknowledging that perhaps you may have made a mistake and that maybe that dog would be happier somewhere else. Um, I try really hard to acknowledge the the pet that was there first gets yes. priority over the pet that you added in. So for example, I, I don't think it's very ethical to say, okay, well now we have to get rid of all the cats because the new dog doesn't like them. It, I think you need to honor your earliest commitment. Um, but I do think that acknowledging that the pet's happiness is often demonstrated through its behavior and problem behavior is indicating that the dog is or cat is not as happy as it could be. And it is okay if in another environment, 
they find that happiness and it doesn't have to be with you. And you're not a failure if you are unable to provide that, because honestly, you have to get through the day and you have a tolerance level just as everyone does. And as you and I know, like some people can put up with way more chaos than others. I personally really don't like chaos and I'm a very structured person. And so for me, every time I have fostered dogs, I've fostered kittens, I've fostered all kinds of things. I have a very predatory dog, but you should have seen, I am the queen of management. So I had, when I brought in kittens and I actually did this, I I don't know if it was during the pandemic. It doesn't feel that long ago, but I actually, it was before I got Pippin. So it was over a year ago. I had the room that I'm in now um, is sort of a guest room, office, whatever, catch all room. And I had an X-Pen set up a tall, the tallest one I could find. Mm -hmm. But I discovered in the first five minutes that these little stinking kittens could crawl out of the X-Pen. Yes. Which of course, I mean, come on, who couldn't? They're cats. So then I went and raided some clamps from my husband's tool bench. And what I did is I took an old bed sheet. This, This was like totally MacGyver, by the way. I was very proud of myself. So I covered, I didn't cover, like enclose the X pen in a sheet, but I I made a lid and then I clamped all around the top of it um, so that the sheet made a lid and was held on and it contained the kittens. And then I also had a baby gate on a hallway on the other side of the door. So I had three layers of protection. I had a baby gate to the hallway. I had the door to the bedroom. Then I had the X pen that contained the kittens with a lid on it. And only then did I feel comfortable having three very busy kittens in a house with a predatory dog. Um, But I was ready. And I knew because of my, you know, my experience having cats from a long time ago, I don't anymore. They passed away when they were each 17 years old and then having a predatory dog. Right. So you put all those experiences together and realize what you're capable of doing. But if you're in over your head, it's okay to either ask for help or to undo what you did. And just say, you know what? My cats are miserable. And you know more than anyone that a miserable cat does some pretty horrible things like pooping on your bed or doing other things because cats just kind of do that. They let you know how they feel quite clearly. Yeah. If an animal, if a cat is stressed, they will, uh, and I'll give the example a few days ago um, because I've had some surgery. Uh, My mom's been helping me out clean the cat boxes, which is the most horrible job in the world. And I I can't. It's like game on for her. Um, but she did in the morning and my one, the marmalade, the little small cat, who's very fearful, couldn't do her morning routine. And because of that stress of that, she felt the only thing that she could do was pee in my bed. Oh, And, so and I, was, I was like, all right, game on. I have an enzymatic cleaner. Like, I know what to do. But because cats are such creatures of comfort, you have to keep that predictability for them, yeah. especially if they're fearful. And so one thing I want to bring up is if I know with the pandemic, nobody has any money and and I I respect that, you know, we're all very strapped for cash and we're all going through hard times, go to cats protection in UK and they have lots of introduction videos of how to introduce your dog to your cat and vice versa. Oh, will you um, make sure you email me that I'm going to add that link to our show notes. I, I, I will do because I think if you, if you need help and you can't afford help, what, avenue can you go to but if you have cats and dogs you need to have that management and i like that you brought up that you had a sheet so a sheet acts as a visual barrier and so if you have a a safe cat room 
you and that you have a dog in the house, whether it's a high prey drive dog or just a dog dog, use a sheet to cover the the baby gate so the dog can't see it and the cat can kind of have a safe zone. Mm-hmm. And when they have a safe zone, then the cat can kind of calm down. Because when it, a cat has high stress and or what's called the stress hormone is called cortisol. When they have a high cortisol rate in their body, you can have respiratory infections, you can have kidney stones, you can have a whole bunch of physical manifestations in their body because cats are very, very fickle animals. They're predator and prey. So if they have a long-term stress situation, such as living with a dog that's a high prey drive dog, they're going to get sick. And so then, therefore, you're going against what's called the five welfare needs, which is, you know, prevention of injury and suffering to the animal. You know, we need to have animals that can, you know, and part of the five welfare needs is to express normal behavior. Well, how mm-hmm. can your, your cat express normal behavior if they can't leave a room? Oh my gosh, this is so good. Okay, so I want to share one idea that my girlfriend, um, Stephanie, did for her cats. So Stephanie is unique in that she is a sea lion trainer. Okay. Um, and so I've actually learned a ton about dog training from watching her work with sea lions because you can never force a sea lion to do anything. It has to be their choice and you need to motivate them to do any behavior that you want them to do. Um, But she had pet cats. They were indoor only cats, which um, was really important from a safety perspective where she lived. There were predators and there were cars. And so her cats had a limited enrichment opportunity by whatever she provided for them in the house was all they got. And that is really important to think about for most families because cats get killed constantly by cars, predators, etc. And they, you know, I'm an environmentalist, so I have to say they also are horrible murderers of of birds, songbirds and native rodents and lizards. So I have issues with outdoor cats, but that's a topic for another day. Mm. So her cats only lived in the house. And what she did to try to help them have an enriched life, and she was having starting to have babies, and she knew that her cat was sensitive, and so she wanted to provide some enrichment opportunities and safety opportunities, is she used the vertical space, like the walls, Yeah, and she built little shelves, so like there'd be like a shelf behind you know, on the wall and the shelves acted as stairs. So the cat could climb up these shelves. These were not shelves that were meant to hold trinkets. These were specifically like cat stairs. And she made this series of cat stairs on the wall. And then she had, um, she mounted some cat tree type of things, like, you know, like tubes that were carpeted where a cat could go hide in the tube and boxes and things like that. Um, and, and so it allowed the cat, oh, hi, kitty. It allowed the cat to escape up out of the reach of the new babies that she was having, right? Yeah. And I would think that that would be a really wonderful, also another option for families who had dogs as well, that if the cat could escape up and then you're taking advantage of the height of your walls Definitely. and making stuff for them. Well, and I think people, again, this is where the cat is natural behaviors. Cats are predator and prey. Cats climb trees. Again, the fireman in the tree. Cats go up high because that will help them feel safe and they can perch and see the world around them. And when they can perch and see the around them, you actually create a sense of confidence in the cat. So if you have a highly anxious cat or a highly fearful cat, this is why for Marmalade, I've created boxes on my dresser and up high because I have limited limited, 
um, how do you say, construction space. So I can't do that here. Mm -hmm. But I did that so she has a higher space. So when she feels insecure, she can go in the dark closet or she can go up high because then they can de decrease her anxiety and she feel confident and she can peer out. But she, you know, she can feel that nobody can see her, although I can see her and she feels that nobody else can see her. Right. And so, so this is where um, having environmental enrichment is incredibly important. I also have indoor cats due to living in China for, for eight years with them. China's not a very safe place for cats or dogs because of a whole different animal welfare challenges that we're not going to get into. Mm -hmm. And Calgary is not a very safe place for dogs. I'm in Calgary now because we have predators around us. We have coyotes. We have um, all sorts of fun stuff. And, you know, I shouldn't. And we also have bylaws against it. We also have extreme weather. We have, mm -hmm. you know, like five degrees one day and then minus 20 degrees the next day. Because, you know, why not? It's Calgary. <laughs> so they're indoor cats. But one thing that I do is that because, you know, I'm also very environmentally centered and, you know, minded is any sort of stuff that I get. Because we've been all ordering online. Any boxes I get. Well, there we go. We have a box corner now in, in the house. So it's all theirs because they need to have their safe spots. And so one thing that I do um, is I have these little boxes or I feed them in boxes, I feed them in Frisbees. But one thing I want to make sure I do every, almost every day, and sometimes I don't, but I like to make sure I play with them with a cat wand. And so if you have a child and you have a cat, and the, and the cat's a bit fearful, and the child doesn't know how to play well with the cat, give them a cat wand. Mm -hmm. And then that way you create the distance between the child and the cat. And the cat can still play and think of positive association with the child. I love that. And then that way you've created a constructive way that the child can interact with the cat without scaring the cat. And, you know, I bring consent tests into this. I bring all sorts of stuff, but I think, you know, we can get the child involved in the enrichment. So and another way you just inspired me um, is that you were talking about the boxes and for older kids who are, you know, six, seven or older, even through teenagers, some of those kids are amazing engineers and love to build things. And I'm imagining building tunnels and tubes and obstacle yeah. courses with those cardboard boxes. They could, they could have them taped shut, except for maybe a little hole on each end and the cat can go in. Yeah. And, and so I think that is a really, um, another fun way to involve the kids in helping the cat to feel like it has some safe places to go when it needs a break. Exactly. And so one thing, the BCSPCA, who is a phenomenal animal welfare organization in British Columbia, um, they've created a kind of a cat castle where the cat can go inside like one spot and they can peer out the top of it. And it's all cardboard. And I'll send you a, a, a link to it so you can I see. I would love that. Yeah. But, you know, if you have kids, I know as a kid, we, we um, use all of our books and we use like blankets and made forts. For make that. forts. Yeah. As you should. You should do that yes. for any animal. You know, yeah. but if you have all the cardboard boxes, why can't you make a kingdom for your cat? And your cat will love it. But I want to make sure that this is really important and this is a big issue. Like if you bring a cat tree in, if you bring any sort of toy in for your cat, you need to create positive associations with it. So you need to put catnip on it. You need to put treats around it. The cat's going to be like, well, what the hell is this? Who's my language? <laughs> but they're going to go like, you want me to play with that? It doesn't smell like my home. Okay. And so again, you have to create the sense of familiarity for the cat. You have to create right, a sense yeah. of comfort. So if you use catnip or you use treats and the cat's going to go, oh, well, that smells good. Well, I'm because, again, dogs and cats are led by their nose. Okay. So if you used to say, OK, well, that smells really good. Well, I'm going to now interact with that because it smells good. So then you can get your cat and have this positive association with the cat tree 
And this yeah. is why a lot of cats don't use a cat tree because it smells of different things, not of their home. And this is why you can get the, the cat fort or the cat boxes. And you can use the catnip again or like, you know, like little toys around it or even the cat wand around it. And so you can introduce these things that your kid can make. Right. But if, if you have a dog, I, I want to bring it back into the dog thing. If you have a dog and you want to make the cat fort, please do put it in the cat safe room so the dog doesn't think that this is something they can destroy. Yes. yes. Because a, a dog will go, oh, that's a cardboard box. Well, I should shred that up because this is, again, what dogs naturally do. They naturally shred. They're naturally chewers. So you want to put that in the cat room so then the cat, the cat can have their own little castle and the dog can be like, okay, well, I can see your castle, but I'm not going to eat your castle today. That's perfect. Right? I think that's a good place for us to end this. I feel like we have talked about some ideas that um, are really important that dogs repeat what they practice, that we need to reward behavior we want repeated. We need to make sure from the emotional and physical wel welfare of all of our pets to make sure that everyone is safe. And that for me means physically and emotionally, right? Yeah. To make sure that our animals aren't getting sick because of stress and that they're able to sort of exhibit normal behaviors. I think those are all really important things. And I also want to bring that it's really important that if you can't handle the situation, if there's no shame in trying to find a trainer. Please yeah. do try to find a positive reinforcement trainer and please message you um, to try to find somebody in your area or do yeah. online training. Yes. And if you feel you can't emotionally handle it, there's no shame in you rehoming your dog mm -hmm. or your, you know, and do respect that the cat came first. Yeah. This, it's the cat's home. It's not the dog's home. And so right. if you've made that situation and we've all done things, we look back and say, why did I do that? Mm -hmm. And you try the best thing with good intentions. So, but there's no shame in saying, I can't handle this anymore. So right. e emotionally, because we're all going through a lot of stress right now, there's a lot of stress in the world and there's a lot of stress on us. If you feel you're in that situation, please don't feel any shame. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you reiterated that because I, that's sort of my, my motto is I just want people to feel safe because people need to be able to um, acknowledge the reality and like, stop pretending that everything is okay if it's not because if we don't take care of ourselves then we can't take care of anybody else yeah and and our mental state and our physical our physical state is equally as important as our animal so if we're not in a good mental state if we're feeling overwhelmed on a consistent basis our emotions affect our animals and that's called emotional contagion mm -hmm. so we have to understand that if we're feeling frustrated if we're feeling stressed that we're affecting our animals and so we have to say okay what can I do and that's where this podcast is coming into play is you're going to say what can I do and then I can listen to this podcast and say here's some solutions for me yeah thank you I really appreciate your time and your expertise I love your unique perspective and um please uh send me your links and I'll include yeah. those in the show notes and we will talk again soon thank you thank you so much okay bye If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Pooch Parenting Podcast on iTunes or on the podcast app of your choice. If you're looking for ongoing support for your family with dogs, be sure to get on the waiting list for my Thriving Parents with Kids and Dogs membership at www.safekidsanddogs.com. And don't forget to follow Pooch Parenting on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening.